we are a family. And there's a families come in many different shapes and sizes and do different things. And sometimes things go well. Sometimes they don't. There's a story of a family where the daughter Mary was uh, stretched out on the sofa. And she was uh, doing a bit of mourning, which she thought was well-deserved. She mourned to her mum. Nobody loves me. The whole world hates me. And her brother, who was sat in the same room, Bill, was playing a game on his phone, and he didn't bother looking up. But he immediately said, that's not true, Mary. Not everybody in the world hates you. Not even some folk in the world hate you. Some folk haven't met you yet. Sometimes well-meaning words, things that we try to do, reassurance that we try to give, doesn't always come across the right way. Many of you will have brothers or sisters. Some of you will have children. All of you, at some point, whether they're still alive, will have had parents. We are all part of families. But being a family is not straightforward. There can be struggles among siblings and also tensions between generations. And our passage speaks of Isaac and Rebecca's family. And from even before the birth of their children, there is struggle and tension. There in the womb, the twins aren't quite getting on. These parents are faithful believers in the Lord. They trust in him for what is right. They listen for his word. They seem to be the people that we should follow. Examples. Isaac's father, Abraham, had been promised as many descendants as stars in the sky or grains of sand on the seashore. And Isaac was sure that that promise would hold true. And so he prayed for Rebecca. And the prayer was answered. But we don't know quite when he first prayed this. Because there would seem to be a weight in there. The passage begins when he is 40. 
and the children are born when he is 60. There's a 20-year wait. 20 years. Although not all women desire to have children, to month after month yearn for a child and not be pregnant is an issue that others sometimes face. Throughout the Bible, we hear of cases where prayers for those in this situation are answered. You know, there's many that would come to mind. God blesses couples and children are born. But that doesn't mean that couples who don't have children have not been blessed by God. Or that God loves those couples without children any less. He doesn't. He loves them deeply. But too often in churches and in families outside of church, too, there can be a pressure for a couple to have children. But there might be fertility issues or other medical matters. Maybe there's an ethical decision along the way not to have children. And words said in jest to these people by well-meaning family and friends may actually cause great pain and tears. And along the way, there might be many questions. In our passage... Rebecca questions whether all is well with her pregnancy. Why is this going on within me? Why is there such a fight it feels within? There were no ultrasound scans or even x-rays that would have revealed that she was carrying twins. But the Lord knows what is happening and what will happen. And so speaks to her of how the older will serve the younger. There is, of course, freedom of will. And it's up to us how we respond to the world around us. Yet God also has something in mind for the plan that we will follow. The way we should travel. And we need to be open to the Spirit leading us to serve his purpose. Esau and Jacob, Harry and Heel, are soon born. Different in appearance, and as they grow and develop, they have different attributes of life. Now, how much their difference in development will be part of that nature and how much of nurture is always a bit of a debate, isn't it? As it is in our own families. Did their names make a difference to them? Was Rebecca's relationship with her sons steered by the theophany she had experienced, the words that had come from God? 
Does Jacob stay at camp more because Re Rebecca loved him more? Or did she love him more because he stayed at the camp farming? Each parent in this account has a favoured child, one that they relate to differently. Well, that relating to differently is one thing, but loving them differently is another. And it does not bode well in any family in any family where one child is loved more than the other. Later on in the account of the family, beyond our reading today, Rebecca not only helps her favorite son trick her husband, but she plans it. And in doing so, she shows an unfaithfulness in marriage. Marriage being a place where we're called to honour our spouse and work with them. But here, she falls short, as had her husband. The family of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, is far from perfect. Indeed, what we see the life of Jacob is that God calls forth the one that society would often put aside. Jacob is not the firstborn. He's not the one that would normally, traditionally, have got the favor. He's not the one with the birthright. He's not the manly hunter, not the one that his father loves. But God will call him and bless him. And in fact, God often calls and blesses the one that we see as the underdog. In uh, some understandings, it's thought that God has this preference for the poor. He wants to bless them and encourage them. And we see that in the teaching of Jesus, particularly in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. In time, Jacob will become a more mature individual. We'll see something of that in our passage tonight, if you come along. But he'll never be perfect. He will hang on to that trait of getting the deal done at almost any cost. And he likewise, like his own parents, will show an unbalance in his love for his children. Esau, the firstborn, loved by his father, is too impulsive. In from the country, he is demanding to be fed. 
give me some of that stew. Jacob is making stew. And it wouldn't just be a small little pot for himself. It'd be for others too. Food would come to all in the family, all the servants. It would be there. There would be food in the pot for Esau, but he demands it now. He's impatient. He's dying for it. I wonder which of us with children have heard phrases like that before. Or maybe even as children said it ourselves. Oh, I'm famished. I'm starving. I'm dying for it. He expresses it. He exaggerates it. In cultures of the time, where birthrights were traded, three sheep were what might have been a birthright. That difference in balance between first and second son. Three sheep. Jacob chances his arm. And his brother foolishly doesn't hesitate. He doesn't negotiate. And the future is sealed. Not for three sheep, but for a bowl of lentil stew that he would have got anyway. And so we see a difference coming as to which is the superior brother. And so we start to see the forming of a line that we will follow throughout the Old Testament. That line that started at Abraham and went to Isaac and has now gone to Jacob continues on through Benjamin to David and then the Holy Family. Esau, who was born red, eats red stew, and in time will become the people of Edom. We might miss the Hebrew wordplay going on there. The fact that they all sound the same, they're homophonic uh, homophonic but Esau or Edom shows a cultural shift Klaus Westerman in his commentary um, on Genesis um, says that there's a different shift going on too It's a wider cultural shift. Esau the hunter and Jacob the one that stays with the farm shows a change in society from the hunter-gatherer 
to the settled status. And so we see this arising of a new whole way of life being talked of in this passage too. From that sense of, yes, I grab it now. And take it home because that's the only way to get things. To a system where things are negotiated. Esau was happy to trade because he thought of the now. But it is really a case of act in haste, repent in leisure. And we probably do that in our families too at times. In the decisions we make in our life. Are we ever the same, ready to jump in and to engage the mouth before the brain is in gear. Not thinking of the consequences of our actions, but simply doing it because it's quick and it's expedient. But those consequences can be massive. We sometimes have to take a step back in our family life and say, what is this decision I'm doing? What are these words I'm shaving? What am I saying to my siblings, to my parents, to my children? And what will be the consequences of these things? Part of Esau's problem is that he just doesn't see into the future. Through Rebekah, the promise came that each son would be a people. But Esau says, I'm about to die. When he wasn't. Esau doesn't have a hope. He doesn't see that promise. That thing that is there for him and similarly for his brother. Jacob does. He sees value in the birthright. He sees that he can shape his path ahead. He sees that he can be a people. And a powerful people at that. In fact, he does become a wealthy shepherd. But he doesn't need this birthright to do it. This birthright that Esau despised. It's not that Jacob earned it. It's not that Jacob really cheated it. It's that Esau didn't value what he had. He didn't value this thing that was important, that, that said something about who he was as part of a family, that made him an individual. What promise or gift have you been blessed with 
that you don't always embrace. What thing have you been given that you should really rejoice in? But actually, at sometimes you despise. Perhaps it's something in our family relationships. Do we have brothers and sisters and children and parents that we always love fully? Do we love them even when we don't like what they do? In the church, do we love our brothers and sisters fully? even when we don't like what they do? Do we develop a friendship network which becomes exclusionary of others, becomes a clique? Or are we always open to the whole of our family? We are not perfect. But God has love for each one of us. He has perfect love for each one of us. He adopts us into his family. And seeks to encourage us all to grow in the fullness of his love. The fullness of love which was seen in Jesus the Christ who came that we might know our Father. Amen.